All right, we're in um, Luke chapter 18, and um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, in ver- starting in verse um, 15. That's where we're going to start. You know, in, in um, one of the most personally convicting books I have uh, ever read uh, was a uh, biography about uh, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. And this uh, particular book that I read was written by his son and his daughter-in-law, Howard and Geraldine Taylor. And the name of the book was Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And this is a story of the calling of Hudson Taylor uh, to the mission field uh, to China back in the 19th century. And um, in March of 1854, I think is the, is the date, uh, Taylor uh, had arrived in China and spent the next 51 years in China uh, serving Christ and uh, was called by uh, many historians as one of the most uh, significant Europeans to have visited China. Uh, Hudson Taylor's uh, life and love for the loss in China has inspired the likes of uh, Jim Elliott and Amy Carmichael and uh, Billy Graham, just to name a few. Each of these, of course, are notable servants of Christ in their own right. But uh, one of the the point that I'm coming to is is that one of the key characteristics uh, brought about uh, uh, Hudson Taylor that his son and daughter-in-law wrote about was that he was uh, conscientious about maintaining an attitude towards God and others uh, that would not hinder blessing. Uh, That would not hinder blessing either for himself or for others or uh, him being a blessing to God. Kind of like the Apostle Paul, uh, he uh, um, exercised himself to have always a conscience void of offense uh, toward God and toward men. In in effect, uh, this is what we have been looking at uh, in this 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We've been looking at the various attitudes of individuals that Jesus has portrayed in his parables as he instructs his disciples about prayer. Uh, Some of the characters in Jesus' parables, uh, due to their attitudes, have either hindered blessing, and some have even received blessing. Uh, For example, we had, uh, first of all, the widow who uh, displayed the attitude of refusing to roll over and accept her unjust situation uh, perpetrated upon her by her her adversary and even aggravated uh, by an unjust judge. Uh, Then uh, we looked at the parable concerning the uh, Pharisee and the publican. Uh, Both of these men went to the temple to pray, uh, but they went with two completely contrary hard attitudes, didn't they? Uh, the, the, the Pharisee, uh, he prayed with, the, with a wrong motive, according to a false standard based upon uh, superficial conduct. And he left the temple not only uh, not justified, but also unchanged. Uh, his was an attitude of, of uh, boastful self, self-exaltation uh, before God. Uh, certainly an attitude <laughs> of heart that would hinder blessing, right? Because uh, pride is one of those things that, that uh, is an abomination in, in God's eyes. While you have the publican, now the publican, uh, he went to the temple and he prayed with admission of his guilt um, in humility, identifying as a sinner um, while praying uh, to the one he offended. He, he prayed for mercy, right, uh, from the one that he offended. And I believe that this man, uh, he, he left the temple blessed. Uh, not only was he justified, uh, as Jesus said, but he was, I believe, forever changed. Now, of course, these are parables. These are stories. Uh, But again, it's the attitude that we are focusing on. So this publican, he prayed with with the attitude of a contrite and trusting heart uh, towards God. Uh, So to carry on, 
this is the same uh, theme that we're going to carry on about is the, is the attitudes. And uh, what we're going to see here as we look at this uh, this story is uh, is the attitude of the disciples who rebuke uh, the parents uh, who wanted Jesus to bless their children. And then as you go through Luke 18, uh, we're going to see the incidents of the uh, rich young man who believed he was fit for the kingdom. So there we've got another attitude. And then finally it uh, it uh, ends with uh, the attitude of Peter where he had a, an expectation uh, of compensation. So what we're going to see here in these next three incidents of the Lord's uh, life and the disciples is um, three scenarios regarding attitudes. Now, as I had mentioned in our last lesson, and I know that was a whole seven days ago, uh, I mentioned that it was only possible for us uh, to live one day at a time, right? Uh, We can't relive yesterday, and uh, we do not know what tomorrow has before us, and uh, so we can only live today. And honestly, living for today is 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 a challenge enough uh, for for the majority of us. Now, here's what I'm trying to say: uh, the key, of course, is how we choose to live today. Uh, what is our daily? present attitude towards God. That's what's vital. That's what's important because it is our it is our present attitude towards God today uh, that will shape our our lives for the future. So what is your attitude uh, toward God today? That's what's key. That's what key. And this is what Hudson Taylor had discovered. Uh, to daily avoid an attitude uh, towards God and others uh, that would hinder blessing. Uh, blessing not only for today, but possibly blessing for uh, tomorrow as well. So that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on uh, attitudes that would hinder blessings. Attitude that would hinder blessings. So in this first scenario, uh, we have the incident where the parents are bringing their small children to Jesus uh, for his blessing. And what we see here are at least four attitudes. Uh, we see the attitude of the disciples. We're going to look at the attitude of the Savior. And then we're also going to consider the attitude of the parents. And finally, to round it all off, we're going to look at the attitude that Christ looks for in those who would see the kingdom. All right? Those who would see the kingdom. So let's take a look at this. It's just three uh, short verses. So Luke 18, starting in verse 15, it says, uh, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So that's Luke 18, uh, 15 through 17. Now it was uh, customary for parents uh, to bring their small children Uh, whether a newborn infant or uh, between the ages of one and two, uh, they would take their children to a a respected rabbi. And they would ask the rabbi to lay his hands upon their child and pray over the child uh, for God's blessing. Uh, We have a a similar custom in our own church. When our pastor sets aside a Sunday, he calls baby dedication day or baby dedication Sunday. Uh, where he gives a charge uh, to the parents about raising their children in the admonition of the Lord. And then he prays for God's blessing and protection on the family. So we have a, a similar a similar custom in our church. So as we look at this story, uh, I want us to consider uh, briefly four attitudes uh, that are presented here for, ed- for our edification and for our instruction. And so, of course, <laughs> the first attitude that we want to consider 
is the attitude of uh, these disciples. The attitude of these disciples who were uh, rebuking the parents uh, for bringing their children to Jesus. Now, what was uh, possibly going on in the minds of the disciples, uh, one can only speculate as to their reason for rebuking the parents and trying to prevent them uh, from bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, you find the very same story in uh, Matthew 19, 13 through 15, and then again in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 16. And both tell the same story. And like Luke, uh, they just don't mention why, what was the reason uh, that the disciples were, w- had rebuked the parents. Uh, they just, you know, they just said no, you know. They uh, told, tried to prevent the parents uh, from bringing their children to Jesus without giving any kind of uh, reason for it, right? Um, some folks... Uh, have chalked it up to the disciples were just being mean. <laughs> they were just, they just had a mean spirit and uh, they held some sort of contempt uh, for children. Uh, they had a, had a contempt for children. Uh, now, I don't know if that was the case or not, but I have certainly met people like this who really have no place for children in their lives. Uh, in fact, I've heard them say that uh, children are an intrusion or a millstone about their necks, and they, they simply don't want to be bothered with having children or be bothered with children at all. Uh, why, even uh, the former first lady stated uh, something along this line when she said that uh, having children was a concession that cost her her aspirations and dreams after she rose to become Barack's equal. I mean, there are just some people who have this mentality about children that they are a hindrance, uh, you know, or a concession. You know, they just simply don't want to be bothered with them. Uh, other sources of hold to the opinion uh, that the disciples uh, were of the impression that Jesus was simply uh, too important or just too busy or had better things to do uh, than to, than to uh, uh, t- you know, t- to take time uh, for these children. So they tried to shoo away uh, these bothersome parents. Uh, others, uh, when they talk about this, uh, they put the disciples in a little bit better light. And what they say is they believe that the disciples wanted to shield Jesus, uh, knowing the heaviness on his heart about what was ahead of him uh, in Jerusalem. And though mistaken in their reasoning, uh, the motive was uh, as an act of kindness toward Jesus, uh, trying to shield him uh, from being bothered uh, by these parents. Um, The bottom line is this. Uh, the disciples <laughs> were men uh, just like you and I. I mean, they were flawed. Uh, they made mistakes. And it's quite possible that there may have been a little bit of all of this uh, mixed up in there. I don't know. Uh, but the point is, uh, they rebuked the parents. They prevented uh, the parents uh, from um, bringing their children to Jesus. This uh, this behavior was, uh, here's an old-fashioned word, uh, this behavior was off-putting, okay, off-putting. Uh, what they did was is they attempted uh, to discourage the parents from bringing children uh, to the Lord. And so they were, their behavior, their attitude was, off, was off-putting. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest obstacles to the gospel is the off-putting example of those who claim to be Christians. I read a short uh, biography about Mahatma Gandhi years and years ago, who is reported to have said that he would have become a Christian if it were not for the Christians he knew. Uh, You know, we have to be uh, very careful how we uh, present Jesus to others. By our, you know, uh, we just have to be very careful how we present Jesus to others uh, by our attitude. 
Uh, and our attitudes are often uh, betrayed by our actions and by our words. You know, people can can pick up on this kind of stuff. In Proverbs chapter twenty and verse eleven. It says, even a child is known by his doings, uh, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You know, uh, many, many of the brothers and sisters in Christ that I have had the privilege of associating with through the years have proved to be a blessing to me. Um, Some as good examples that I've looked up to and I've learned from, and others maybe not so good examples, but I still learn, right? And I'm, honestly, I am thankful uh, for both. I am thankful for the the good examples, and I am thankful uh, for the bad examples. Uh, On the job site, I have seen Christians who by their Christ-honoring attitude have won the ears and the hearts of those that they have shared the gospel with. Uh, even those who are are hostile toward the gospel uh, will even will show respect uh, toward the, uh, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ just because of their their loving attitude. Uh, they, they respect them for that. While on the other hand, I've seen uh, Christians on the job site who were off-putting, and you could see how their attitude, uh, shown by their behavior and by their words, was not so Christ-like, and uh, a lot of folks didn't want anything to do with with the gospel because they didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, in First Corinthians uh, chapter nine. Verses in verse 12, uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and this is what he wrote. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12, he says, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Least we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul and those who ministered with him uh, willingly surrendered certain rights in order to win others to Christ. They did not want to be a hindrance to the gospel of Christ, you know. Uh, Today, it's almost as if some Christians believe uh, they have a right to be a jerk for Jesus with little concern to how this how they may look or how you know how you know how they may sound uh, to the to the lost and you have to wonder sometimes you know how am I living how is this reflecting on the gospel of Jesus Christ and I believe this is something that um, all of you guys uh, are aware of and I believe all of you are very careful in your testimony towards others as far as as far as the gospel is concerned, now I have to confess um, there are times that I I have been a good example, at least I hope so. But there are times that I know that I have been a bad example. Uh, I am no super saint, you know. I never swear to be a super saint. Uh, yet I certainly <coughs> I certainly do aspire uh, to always be a good example. Uh, but those times when I am a bad example. <laughs> I pray for forgiveness for my brothers and sisters when I'm not. But the point is, is, you know, we need to be careful how we, you know, portray the gospel. We don't want to, we don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel because of our poor attitude. I mean, um, what a sad thing that would be uh, to learn uh, that uh, one's attitude uh, was the cause of hindering another person uh, from receiving Christ. Uh, you know, that's that's being a hindrance to, to being a blessing. But on the other hand, what a wonderful thing to think about, uh, to hear that uh, because of one's attitude, uh, that has caused someone to uh, consider Christ and even come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, we want to be careful uh, to not be like the attitude, uh, have the attitude of the disciples where we are off-putting. You know, uh, we don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel because of our because of our attitude and how we behave and, and you know some of the our words. Uh, we uh, certainly want to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to others, and unfortunately, this is not what the disciples were doing. Uh, they were certainly not reflecting uh, their time and their exposure uh, to the Lord uh, and His example. Uh, 
Now, the, that's the, the attitude of the disciples. We don't want to have this off-putting attitude uh, that would be a hindrance to blessing to others. Uh, the second thing we want to look at is the Lord's attitude. Uh, first, we'll consider uh, Jesus' attitude uh, toward his disciples, okay? Uh, Jesus' attitude toward his disciples. In uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, we read uh, the Lord's heart on the matter uh, concerning the disciples' attitude uh, towards these parents. In, in Mark chapter 10, in, start, in verse 14, uh, this is what we read. Mark 10:14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So Mark's gospel gives us a little extra information, and what he says is that Jesus was much displeased. Much displeased. You know, sometime uh, one's attitude is better seen than heard, right? Uh, one's countenance or one's body language will often betray what is what is one's attitude or what one is is thinking. Uh, some folks don't contain or they don't possess what you might call a poker face. Uh, I think there's an old saying, they, they wear their feelings on their sleeves. I mean, you can sometimes see on their faces uh, what they might be thinking in their hearts. So here in Mark 10, 14, it says, but when Jesus saw it, all right? So I'm thinking uh, the Lord may have been engaged a little ways away from this scenario. And he was watching or witnessing uh, what was transpiring here between the disciples and these parents. And he could see the disciples' attempt uh, to keep the parents away. And at the same time, he could see on the faces of the parents uh, their disappointments or possibly their confusion for not being allowed to approach the Lord. And this, this displeased the Lord. And the word displeased used by Mark is a compound Greek word that says it means uh, brings much grief brings much grief so what the disciples were doing uh, in regards to the parents brought much grief to the heart of the Lord the parents bringing their young children was not the source of grief <laughs> it was disciples who was being uh, the source of grief uh, to the Lord it was contrary to the Lord's ways wasn't it I mean these men failed to, to emulate the Lord's example uh, towards the those who came to him. Jesus always had time for others. Uh, whether they were the infirmed or the inquiring, uh, he made time uh, to meet their need. When I read that, I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, do, do, do I possess an attitude uh, that, pro that proves to be a source of grief to the Lord? Uh, you know, it's just one of those things you have to ask yourself and examine yourself uh, whether or not, you know, you are uh, harboring such an attitude because you don't. You don't want to harbor an attitude that's going to bring grief to the Lord. <clears throat> the word grieve, I heard one, one fella, I don't know if I read it or if I heard it preached, but uh, they said the word grieve is a relational word because uh, you can't grieve someone who doesn't care about you. Uh, you only grieve those who care about you. And the Lord certainly loved his disciples and the behavior that he was seeing his disciples uh, involved in was was a grief to him. I mean, he, he felt in his heart uh, towards those parents uh, the lack of compassion uh, being shown toward those, those parents uh, by these uh, by these disciples of him, so this really disapp he disapproved of it. It was it was a source of grief and disappointment to him. Um, this was not uh, the attitude of that uh, Christ wanted his disciples uh, to display uh, to to be a hindrance uh, to these parents and to these children in regards to the Lord's blessing uh, these families. Now I'm going to ask: Is it possible? Possible uh, for you and me to to cause uh, grief to the heart of our Lord today? Uh, yeah, the answer, of course, is yes. It's it's very very possible for us to grieve our Lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse thirty says, "And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, where." 
whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit is a spiritual condition uh, characterizing Christians who are not yielded to God's will or they, they've got an attitude that may be carnal, right? Uh, they may be living in sin. Um, a, a believer who, who grieves the Spirit, they can do so by uh, being resistant to his leading, uh, uh, being rebellious to his word, uh, living in sin. Uh, all of this grieves the spirit all of this results in a a departure from God's will and this certainly brings grief uh, to the heart of the Lord Uh, you know even though a parent uh, loves their child unconditionally right Uh, this does not mean that the child can't be a source of of grief uh, to the parent because of their disobedience so when a child of God is unyielding and and unrepentant uh, proving to be resistant uh, to the spirits ministering in their lives uh, to produce in them that fruit of Christ likeness don't you think that that grieves the father don't you think that brings grief uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ I think it does um, and the result of this uh, grieving of the spirit that results in loss of fellowship that re- that results in um, a loss of the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit um, you see it in their in their relationship with other Christians so there's a loss of fellowship there and even something even more dire is that when you're grieving God like this uh, even some of the spiritual darkness that surrounds the lost uh, may may affect uh, us as well Uh, God's word will seem kind of dead right kind of dry uh, because of it because we're not in fellowship we're not in fellowship with God so so it's almost like you know God stops speaking to us through the word so it's 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 a serious serious matter now it's true uh, that the believer is sealed and safe in regards to salvation, but uh, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that's to hinder any blessing that he wishes to to bestow upon you. So we don't want that attitude. We don't want that attitude uh, that will bring grief uh, to the Holy Spirit of God, that would bring, bring grief uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Jesus saw about his disciples was a, was a source of much grief to him. Uh, the attitude behind the behavior of his disciples in hindering the parents, uh, that was unacceptable. It was just simply unacceptable. And so he rebukes his his men. He lovingly rebukes his men for their unloving attitude. So that's Jesus' attitude toward his disciples. Now, what is Jesus' attitude towards the children? Again, Mark's gospel uh, adds uh, some wonderful detail. In Mark 10:16, it says he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. So contrary to the attitude of his disciples that they were rebuking the parents, <laughs> Jesus takes the, the child from the arms of the parents and he blesses them, right? Now, now put that and think about that for a minute. There you are, one of the disciples, trying to shoo these parents away. And then Jesus comes up and the very parent you're trying to prevent uh, Jesus takes the child out of that parent's arm and and holds them and blesses them. I mean, who hasn't been in a, a situation like that uh, when someone steps forward and does the right thing? You know, uh, I can relate to how the, the disciples felt about now. You know, as Jesus, by his actions, uh, rebuked their behavior. I mean, I... Who hasn't felt like a heel a time or two, right? And I'm thinking that's what these disciples were feeling feeling like right about now. They were feeling like a, a pack of heels. Um, you know, uh, contrary to the notion that children were not in, important, uh, what did Jesus just do? Yeah, 
He just proved that children were very important. Children were very important. That was Jesus' attitude towards the children. Uh, The Bible places a very high premium upon uh, the value of children. Psalms 127 uh, verses 3 through 4 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. His arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Of course, this speaks of physical children, but it also applies to spiritual children as well. I mean, if you lead someone to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and they become born again, you know, you're bringing forth fruit into the kingdom. You're bringing forth children into the kingdom of God. And that's something to rejoice over. You know, as one reads through the Bible, Uh, You're going to see the importance uh, that the Lord places upon children throughout the scripture. There's over 3,000 references uh, concerning children to be found in the pages of the Bible. Uh, There are a plethora of references about raising children throughout the scripture, about the importance of children throughout the scripture. There's even uh, countless number, I shouldn't say countless, but there are just uh, numbers of and curses to anyone who would mistreat children, abortionists. I mean, there are just countless, countless uh, numbers of scriptures that that warn against uh, mistreating children. So contrary to the notion that, that Jesus was too busy or was too burdened to deal with children, uh, Jesus proved that he had time for even the smallest, smallest of infants. In fact, as you read through the word of God, there's two classes of people in society that, that is very close, near and dear to the heart of God, and that is the widow and the fatherless, the children, the children. Jesus himself said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. When I read this, I was reminded of um, Larry and Charlotte Franklin. Some of you may know who uh, who this dear couple is, but uh, Larry and Charlotte Fr- uh, Franklin have dedicated their lives uh, to reaching children for Christ. Uh, They have, uh, for doing so, uh, they've received a lot of criticism. They've received a lot of grief from many of their Christian brothers and sisters uh, with claims that it's wrong uh, to reach children for Christ uh, because they claim that children are not old enough to know the consequences of their decisions. And I don't believe that's true. I know of many many Christians who receive Christ at a very early age in their life. Uh, This uh, criticism uh, did not dissuade the Franklins. In spite of their failing health, in spite of meager resources, uh, this couple has traveled the globe uh, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to children of all races and to gospel to their parents of all nations. So, you know, Jesus said, forbid them not, and God be merciful to any who have done so. Uh, The third um, uh, attitude that we want to look at is uh, the attitude of these parents, okay? The attitude of these parents. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, uh, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me say this, and I know you guys know this. Uh, The adversary knows uh, that if he can influence a child's mind at an early age against the gospel, right, then he has really accomplished something there. Uh, The adversary knows that if he can get the parents to believe that a secular education is more important than a spiritual education, uh, then the chance that that child ever coming into Christ will be greatly hindered. Uh, True, you know, children have a sin nature. Uh, They inherit it from their parents. Uh, One day they will exercise their free will. Uh, This sin nature Nature will come alive, and it will take you know quite a quite a toll on their life. But when they are young, uh, there is uh, there is um, no um, self consciousness, I guess, about a sin nature. And so, when they're very young, they're open 
to godly influences in their lives uh, that will aid in their recognition about the seriousness of this sin nature of theirs and also learn uh, for themselves what God has done for them uh, regarding this sin nature. Yet so many children are being raised in a Christless home even when mom and dad are saved. Uh, Christ may not be exalted in the home. So when they grow older, uh, they don't have that training uh, that a that a home that who exalts Christ would provide for them. So when the sin nature does come into its own, uh, they're at a uh, they're at a great spiritual uh, disadvantage. Ephesians six four says, "And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord." Now. I may get some flack from this, but you know there is there is no guarantee uh, that a child raised in a Christ honoring home uh, will not rebel, or they may not get saved. There's there's no guarantee, but I cannot help but believe that the chances of them uh, doing so is a lot better if they're raised in a home that exalts Christ than if they were not raised in a home that exalts. Christ. I have heard countless testimonies and read account after account of men and women raised in God-fearing homes that when they became young adults, they rebelled against mom and dad's godly influence. Uh, They fell into a sinful lifestyle, but at some crisis point in their life, uh, they surrender themselves to the Lord. Why? Because of the godly home that they were raised in. Because of the, the parents who prayed for them. You know, our earlier I made reference to to Hudson Taylor and this was his story. Uh, His mother Amelia had become so burdened for the salvation of her son that she locked herself in a room in prayer and she refused to leave until God had given her assurance that Hudson would be saved. Hudson uh, during this time being bored He went into his father's library and he randomly chose a track entitled Poor Richard. And at the end of the story, Hudson Taylor read these words, the finished work of Christ. It was then that, excuse me, it was then that Hudson Taylor realized his deepest need and he received Jesus Christ as his savior. A few days later, he and his mother were reunited. She was away on a trip and he immediately exclaimed, I have some news to tell you. But before he could say anything more, she replied, I know what it is. You have given yourself to God. And then she explained that for days she had already been rejoicing in his salvation. You know, people will argue that God doesn't work like that today. No, the real problem is that God's people doesn't pray like that today. That's the problem. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I believe the attitude of these parents who, who, who brought their children to Jesus for his blessing was that they wanted the utmost good for their children. Uh, These godly-minded parents, uh, they took to hearts in raising their children in the fear of the Lord, and they wanted their children to have the blessing of God upon their lives. Uh, These parents were doing exactly what Jesus had to admonish his disciples in attempting to prevent them from doing, and that was that they were bringing their children to Jesus. We need parents who will bring their children to Jesus today. That's what we need. Now, back in the 50s and the 60s, uh, 63% of American families were attending church together. That's not a very high number, is it? But 63% back in the 60s and 50s. Today, 23%. 
23% are doing so. If children are the future of a society, then what does this say about a society that forsakes God in the raising of their children? Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 11, 14. Let me read you a very scary uh, 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 verse about this kind of society. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 says, There is a generation that curses their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. You know, see, the attitude of these parents here in Luke's gospel was that their children were to be given every possible advantage to grow up fearing the Lord and living their lives for the glory of God. I'm afraid we have lost that in our nation and we are reaping what we have sown. We are reaping what we have sown. Now we come to the fourth attitude in this passage. And that's the attitude that Christ looks for in those who would see the kingdom. The attitude that Christ looks for in those who would see the kingdom. Look here again in Luke 18, uh, 15 through 17. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Uh, Jesus says two things about the attitude of children. First, he says, of such is the kingdom of God. And the second is that one will not receive the kingdom of God unless you are such as these little children. Now, the phrase of such uh, means uh, of this kind or of this sort or of this nature. And I believe the word nature says it best. Uh, The Lord's not saying (laughs) that we must be like uh, a one or two year old, right? Physically or mentally. Uh, This is what Nicodemus uh, struggled with, with when he asked, you know, can he, a man, enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So no, we're not, we're not talking about a matter of physicality or mentality. Uh, We're uh, here's my new word for the day. It's it's attitudinal, <laughs> attitudinal. In other words, it's a manner of thinking or feeling or behaving that reflects a state of mind or disposition or nature. Nature. A, a pig wallows in the mire with other pigs because it's in its nature to do so. A sheep associates with sheep in the pasture to eat grass because it is the nature of the sheep to do so. So what Jesus is referring to here when he makes the statement of such is that he's addressing the attitude towards God as a disposition of one's nature, of one's nature. So there are at least uh, four things when I was looking at this. Uh, There are four things that uh, we'll consider, uh, at least four things, about the nature of a child in relation uh, to the kingdom of God. Okay? Uh, The first is love. L-O-V-E. Love. Now stay with me on this. The parent loves the infant long before the infant displays and returns love to the parents. Okay, let me say that again. The parent loves the infant long before the infant displays and returns love to the parents, right? In those early months of life, uh, the infant is fed, clothed, bathed, doted upon by its parents uh, before the infant shows any evidence of love and appreciation uh, towards the parents who are showering it with affection. Uh, In time, uh, the infant learns to respond to this love and begins to display signs of of affection toward its parents with coos and smiles, you know, and other displays of love 
love and fondness. As the young child matures, uh, this love is seen uh, by more sophisticated ways of expression, uh, both verbally and and behaviorally. Uh, The child uh, uh, desires to please its parents and and receives great delight in in doing so. And refrigerators in many homes are evidence of this, uh, with its gallery of doodles and drawings uh, scribbled by the hand of a one and two year old, right? Uh, The young child brings the parent a picture uh, because it wants to give the parent something. You know, it wants to give the parent something because it wants to make, it wants the parent to be, to be happy. He wants to please the parent. So, uh, also the young child desires to be with their parent. Uh, the young child uh, desires to, to identify uh, with their parents. Uh, why? Because mom and dad are the most important people in the whole world. That's the attitude of a child. Uh, that's the first attitude about a child of the kingdom. And that is love for God. John 4:19 says, 1 John 4:19 says, 1 John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. Remember what I said? The parent loves the infant long before the infant displays and returns love to the parents. God's love for us existed long, long before any of us were aware of it. But now that we have learned about his love and experiences and experiences love, then we are to be like a young child and we are to express our love to him in longing to be with our father and to identify with our father. In Luke ten twenty seven, it says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. A, a child does not love by commandment, right? You cannot command a child to love. Uh, they love because they are loved. We love because we are loved. First John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the lost, they spurn God's love. And this is why they will never see the kingdom of God. Childishness is love for self, while childlikeness is love for God. It is this childlike love for God, this desire to be with God and identify with God, that makes up the nature of such in the kingdom of God. Okay, along with this love, we have trust. Trust. The child entrusts themselves to the care and safety of their parents. I mean, who hasn't witnessed a young child with its little arms uh, wrapped around their parent's leg uh, when they're being shy when introduced to strangers, right? Uh, They are going to the parent for safety, for security. Uh, What does the child trust in their parents? Or why does the child trust in their parents? It is because of the love that has been shown to them by their parents. Uh, This love of the parents uh, nurtures confidence in the child concerning the parents' care over them. A young boy was in a country store uh, that his father owned. Uh, The father was in the cellar of the store accessed by a trap door in the floor. The ladder down into the cellar was steep, uh, so steep uh, that the young boy was afraid to descend down into the cellar unassisted to be with his father. It was that steep. So the father calls up to the boy, uh, jump down, I will catch you. Uh, The young boy was hesitant. You know, he was afraid. Uh, The father called up and he said, you know I love you, right? And the young boy said, yes, I I know you love me. And the father then replied, you also know that because I love you, I will not let any harm come to you, right? And the young boy said, yes, 
I believe that. And then the young boy leapt safely into the father's awaiting arms. You see, a child learns to be dependent upon the parent's provision and protection. And when the child is in doubt or need, uh, they know whom it is that they can confide in. They can confide in the one that they trust in because they know that the one they trust in loves them. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then later on in Romans 8.38, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what he says there. He says, For I am persuaded. Why was Paul persuaded? Because of the love of God. Because of the love of God. You see, the lust, the, the lost cannot trust a God they do not know. And because they do not know God, to trust God, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? We trust God for salvation because we know he loves us. And he has proven this love by not sparing his only begotten son to save us. What we forget is this. This is the same love he has for us in the midst of those circumstances when we are asked to trust him. It is this childlike trust in the Heavenly Father that is the nature of such who see the kingdom of God. The third thing is humility. Uh, Humility. Now stay with me on this one too. Um, small children are like sponges, aren't they? I mean, they soak up knowledge at a remarkable rate. I mean, I uh, I observe my young grandchildren uh, manipulate their way around a smartphone like pros, while I have a hard time sending texts. Sometimes I have to ask my my daughters, "How do I do this?" and "How do I do that?" Uh, young children uh, possess an eagerness to learn. As their intelligence becomes awake, uh, there's this this hunger for knowledge. There's this hunger for knowledge. Uh, with small children, and I'm talking small children, they're free of that uh, know-it-all attitude that comes later on in adolescence uh, when they think they've got all the answers. But, but while they are, they are young, uh, there is this uh, um, unwitting sense of humility as they willingly submit to learning new things uh, that, are, that, their, that their parents are teaching them. Uh, the greatest impediment to knowledge is a lack of willingness to be taught. And the lack of willingness to be taught is because of pride. Because of pride. Psalms 86.11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I believe humility is key in learning the way of the Lord. Uh, You have to be humble to learn God's ways. That's just all there is to it. You have to lean not on your own understanding. Right? You trust in the Lord, leaning not on your own understanding. Psalms 119, uh, verses 33 through 35. Psalms 119, verses 33 through 35. says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. It's kind of like the old joke. Uh, If a man and a woman uh, jumped off of a high building, who would land first? Well, the woman would land first uh, because the man would get lost on the way down and then refuse to ask, ask for directions. In humility, one asks for help to know God's word 
to know God's ways, right? In humility, one asks for help to know God's word and God's ways. Uh, We pray, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, help me to understand. Uh, We're asking for help from God to understand. Psalms 119.97 Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You know, a pastor once once preached a a message on the key of learning God's word is to love love God's word. It was one of the best sermons I ever heard. The key to learning God's word is to love God's word. And he took Psalms 119 and he just went through and showed how the love of God's word will help you to understand and 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 learn God's word. Um, as a personal testimony, when I came to uh, salvation in Christ, uh, there was a great desire in my heart uh, to know more and more about the one who had given his life so that I could have eternal life. Uh, Every opportunity I had on the job site during breaks and lunch, I would would go away uh, somewhere quiet and I would just read the Bible. I would just, I had a little pocket New Testament and I would just, in fact, as a matter of fact, this is it. This is what I carried around with me. I had this little pocket New Testament And I would hide somewhere and I would just read, 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 read. I couldn't get enough of the the Word of God. Or if I found a good book about the Bible, I would just read that good book about the Bible. And when I went home, I would read and I would study the Bible. You know, there there was a hunger. There's a hunger in my heart to know God and to know His Word. Uh, 1 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. Long before I knew this verse even existed in the Bible, uh, like a newborn babe, I desired the sincere milk of the Word because I loved the taste of it. I just loved it. You know, a baby that will not feed is a great concern to its parents, right? A baby that will not feed, there's something wrong with the child. There's something wrong with the child. A sign of a healthy baby is that it's hungry for its food. You see, the lost, they have no appetite for the milk of the word. Therefore, they have no appetite uh, for the kingdom of God. But but the, the nature of a child of the kingdom is that they have a hunger a hunger for the Word of God. There's a humility that they want to. They want to be taught the Word of God. They want to be submitted to the Word of God. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter three, uh, starting in verse seven. He says, "But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be." found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of, the, which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. And the attitude that Christ looks for, those, looks for in those who, who are fit for the kingdom of God is the, is the humble attitude of a child who desires to know about him. That desires to know about him. And that takes humility. And then finally, uh, we'll, we'll conclude with this. I know I've gone over obedience. You knew it was coming. Obedience. Along with knowing that that a child is love, trusts its parents, there's a desire to learn and a humility to be taught. Uh, There is also the importance of obedience. Obedience. Uh, Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. 
It's important that the child understand between right and wrong, that there are consequences to behavior and boundaries to be observed and authority to be respected. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What does it Paul say? That's the first commandment with promise. Uh, If honor is not taught in the home, uh, then this will be carried forward in the child's life in society. If honor is not taught in the home, then this will be carried forward in the child's life in society. Proverbs 23:24 says, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Obedience motivated by love brings great joy to a parent's heart. The lost have no love for God. They see no reason to obey his will, and so they shall have no part in the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon preached that obedience to the will of God is the pathway to perpetual honor and everlasting joy. Uh, To be fit for the kingdom of God requires that we possess the nature of a child. Uh, We need a new nature, right? Uh, That old nature is kind of ruined. We need a new nature. And that new nature occurs when we become born again. John uh, John 3, 3 says, uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God becomes our Father when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, right? God becomes our Father when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. John 1.12 But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But God cannot be to us a Father unless we love, trust, learn about his ways, and obey his will. Let me say that again. God becomes our Father when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, but God cannot be to us a Father unless we love, trust, learn about about his ways, and obey his will. Salvation means that we share the Father's nature. Second uh, Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That's the nature needed to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, whereas, uh, so salvation means that we share the Father's nat- uh, nature, sanctification, yielding, submission, obedience, all of this means that we were to, we enter fully into the Father's love and enjoy his fellowship. John 15.10, if we keep If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Yes, we are saved. We are children of God. But if we are disobedient, we're not abiding in his love. When we are disobedient, uh, we're not abiding in his fellowship. He's going to have to chastise us. He's going to have to correct us. Yes, he corrects us in love, but why go there? Why not abide in his love by being obedient? Why not abide in his love by being trusting? Why not abide in his love and be humble and learn from his word what it is that pleases him? What it is that pleases him? So the attitude that Christ looks for in those who would see the kingdom is a love for God, that nurtures a confident trust in his providential care coupled with the humility to learn from his word and obey his will concerning that which has been written. What is needed is the nature that comes from the new birth. Of such is the kingdom of God. Remember, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that is our lesson on the on the, on the attitude of the disciples, the attitude of Jesus, the attitude of the parents, and the attitude that Jesus is looking for those who would be fit 
uh, for the kingdom of God. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And I do hope uh, that uh, this was uh, beneficial for you folks and that you did receive a blessing. Lord God in heaven, we come to you now uh, humble before you because of your great love for us. Uh, Father in heaven, you loved us long before we even knew uh, knew that you loved us. And Lord God in heaven, that just, that just flat amazes me. Now pray, Father in heaven, that you would uh, grant unto us that uh, childlike disposition, uh, that we would come to love you more and more as you deserve, uh, that we would br- come to the place, Lord, that we would unflinchingly trust in you in all situations, Father. That, Father in heaven, that we would humbly come to you and ask that you would teach us of your way uh, and unite our hearts to reverence you and fear you. I pray also, Father in heaven, that you would help us to be obedient because sometimes, quite frankly, we can be very strong-willed and rebellious people. So I pray, Father in heaven, for your blessing on this time. I pray for your blessing for everyone uh, that is represented by the names that are listed here in this column. Uh, Father in heaven, I'm looking forward to the day uh, that we can all get together again and see each other face to face. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so thank you so much for joining, and uh, good night, everyone. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to click the right buttons. So, um, again, just remember, um, Lord's Supper this Sunday, uh, coming Sunday on the 31st, uh, Church in the Park the following Sunday, and then on the 14th, uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, we will be able to meet as an ABF, if you are comfortable with that, meet as an ABF in the, in the sanctuary on the 14th at uh, 9 o'clock. So God bless everyone and good night.